Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Top 5 at 5. I'm Catherine Murray, and as always, I'm glad to be able to bring you uh, investment professionals who focus 24-7 on the markets and uh, sector stocks, themes, how to position yourself. Obviously, it's a very difficult time right now with incredible volatility and, you know, really, you know, it is a bloodbath in, in the markets these days. We'll see what comes next. Uh, but, um, but you know, I think we're, you know, pretty much all on the same page. Stay, in, stay invested, uh, stay, stay smart about what you're doing. So happy to bring, uh, you know, the smart people to you. Uh, today, we've got Paul McDonald. He's the Chief Investment Officer at Harvest Exchange Traded Funds. Paul, welcome. Um, thanks for being with us. And um, why don't we just kind of get your top-down view of, of what's going on? And I also really think that what you do and what you offer on the ETF side is, is also really interesting, which we'll get into. And then, of course, your top ideas. But what, what, what's your view right now? What, what are you seeing in the markets? Well, first, thanks for having me back, Catherine. You're absolutely right. This is a really challenging environment for investors. And we really do have a dilemma here that we know that we've got fairly significant macro uncertainty. That's, And we can talk about what's driving that inflation, interest rate expectations. But we also have an environment where interest rates are rising. And that's causing uh, the, the area of portfolios that most people think are, are the safe part, the bonds, they're getting impacted at the same time that the equity markets are. Couple that with high inflation and you've got um, you've got real income or your cash flow that you're generating from your investments is now negative. And so at the same time, perhaps uh, during this cycle, we see um, other areas that are normally the quote safe areas of the equity market and consumer staples, although behaving well right now, you know, our view is, is that perhaps that discretionary spending changes just because of the pandemic. So we've got a lot of, uh, of macro uncertainty, a lot of uh, issues that our investors are faced with. So it's no surprise that when you look at um, things like sentiment indicators, that we're actually at the lowest sentiment that we've seen from uh, individual investors since the, the GFC in 2008. And then the next time that we were back at these levels from an investor sentiment standpoint was back in 1990. So investors really, I think at this stage, given we do have some of these uncertainties and some of these dilemmas, as you pointed out, we want to be invested, but it's, it's, a, it's time to really refocus. What are you invested in and why? And our view is, is that in this type of environment, you really want to be focused in on quality and areas that have, perhaps will have a little bit more visibility in the market. And so let's talk about, um, you know, and, and I think anybody who knows, like, this is the idea of this is not to talk about products per se, um, but it is, a, it's an interesting strategy. You, you run an ETF, um, uh, an equity income ETF focused on healthcare companies. And what I think is interesting for people to understand is that how do you get income? Well, you can get it through dividends, but you can also write, if you know what you're doing, covered calls on your position to generate income. So that's, that's how you're generating additional income. 
um, which I, th I think is, you know, an interesting and important strategy, but maybe talk a little bit about exactly what that is. Sure. So, so again, when, when we think about where we want to be invested, you know, we want to have areas that have secular long-term growth. And I think just looking at healthcare as a, as a sector, there's very limited availability in the Canadian marketplace. Um, yet it's, you know, 13 to 15%, depending on your, your measure of the global markets, it's a major component of, of, of the broader markets. And so the sector actually has really powerful driving forces over that medium to longer term. So we've got things like aging populations, which as you age, you spend exponentially more on healthcare. We've got technological innovation, which is really early innings of, of drug development and medical device development. And we've got developing markets that really, as, as wealth increases, it's a disproportionate uh, expenditures on healthcare. So that's medium, longer term reasons why we want to be there um, in this particular sector. In the shorter term, though, we've got a fair amount of uh, uncertainty and the healthcare is what, what's known as a superior good. And so superior goods are, are goods that we need in up and down markets. Doesn't matter what the economic cycle is, we still need to spend money on our drugs and our, our, our devices, et cetera. So that really does give us some visibility into how these companies are, are operating um, and what the ex expectations are, despite broader market, you know, lack of visibility. And so, you know, from our perspective, that's an area that we want to we want to have exposure to. Uh, and of course, as, as you pointed out in our strategy, we have what's called the covered call. And so this really it's a, a unique strategy that you know, we write call options on individual securities and without getting into the technical details, mm -hmm. um, basically we get paid what's called a premium. So um, for, for allowing somebody to buy our stock at a set price. So if a stock's at $100, you know, we might write a, a small portion of our, our position and we'll get $3 in premium for that. So we always have a bias to the upside. So we only write on a portion of our holdings. So we'll be participating in that longer term growth. And the benefit for investors is they get high cash flow. And it's the trade off you, you forego a little bit of the upside in favor of generating uh, high cash flow. And at a time when when real income is, is negative, um, which is your adjusted for inflation across many um, types of investment products, covered call seems to be a really good way to uh, really generate additional cash flows. Right. And so in terms of writing covered calls, say you own a stock, it's $100. You give somebody else the right to take your stock away, to buy it from you at a lower price. And as you say, you don't expect them to actually be able to take it away from you because you've got a bias to the upside. So you're saying, look, this stock's going higher, but I'll let you think you can buy it at a lower price. If it gets there, I'm happy to give it away for to you because A, I'm collecting an in income, generating a bit of income, that premium, and I'm still holding on to perhaps the sizable portion of, of the stock holdings. So you're okay to kind of just keep writing covered calls, just, just so people understand kind of what what that is. That's right. So, so if the stock's at 100, maybe we, we give somebody the right to buy our stock at $101. So we'll get a little bit of the, uh, of the upside on the stock, but we'll always only be writing on 33% of our holdings at a maximum. So that means, you know, 67% will, if the stock goes up to 105, we'll have sold a small portion at 101. However, the bulk of the position still gets that uh, upside. The, the quid pro quo is effectively we get a, a bird in the hand. We have that cash flow. And that's really 
the the essence of the strategies is to generate that monthly cash flow um, that that is relatively tax efficient as well. Got it. Um, and, and so just to, before we get into the stocks, um, what's the uh, what's the income or the yield that you're generating on this? So it, it, it's interesting because we do a fixed distribution each month, and so what that does is that really generate uh, sorry. Um, it determines how much we have to write each month. Perhaps it's not that 33%. So perhaps we have a little bit more to the upside because we're only having to write 20% at a particular mm-hmm. time. Uh, and so the way that options are priced is they're priced pri- primarily on volatility. And so when markets are volatile like they are right now, um, that's the end of the pool that we swim in. We actually get paid more premium on our, on our option strategies because that's the, the volatility is what drives the value of those options. And so right now we're paying uh, on our healthcare fund, for example, we are about eight and a quarter uh, to eight, 8.5% on an annualized basis, but that's paid on a monthly, uh, monthly um, cash flow. Got it. Um, let's talk about some of the stocks. One of them that you're recommending today is Merck. Why Merck? So again, looking at companies that have visibility you know, across, you know, up and down markets. Um, Merck is a very large, well-established player in pharmaceuticals and biopharmaceuticals. Um, They've got a very um, core franchise in oncology. Again, when we think about, uh, you know, visibility and and really in a time when we have high inflation, these these products have high margins and they don't have a whole lot of, um, of exposure to commodity prices. And so, that gives us some comfort that we're going to have visibility on what their business looks like. Um, but yet at the same time, we've got a stock that's trading at 13 and a half times earnings. We've got um, the number two uh, pet health business, you know, very well diversified at a time when we really want to have some visibility. It's interesting. It's only trading at 13.5 times. Why is that? I mean, the market was trading at about 24 times, depending on, you, you know, how you're, how you're measuring PE ratios uh, these days. Obviously that's come down significantly, but why is it 13.5? I'm surprised. So back, I, I would suggest that this is, a, this is uh, the, where we see the value opportunity in something like a Merck really is in multiple expansion. As people get comfortable with that their businesses are and their franchises are actually executing in particular uh, K-Truda, which is their um, uh, immunotherapy, which is a pillar of their of their growth, then we should start to see that multiple normalize back up to a market level. The other thing that's happened in the relatively short term is, you know, go back pre-2019, drug pricing was was obviously, and there's no winners when we talk about politics, but drug pricing was a, a political lightning rod for uh, for politicians. And so really since the Biden administration has come on, that narrative has really has has narrowed. I couple that with you know how this sector and how these companies have pivoted to really find solutions to get us out of the pandemic. That that also is another factor that we think is starting to filter through to see uh, across the sector, but also for Merck, for example, to see that multiple expand. So I, I would actually suggest that you know now we see the markets you know again depending on which. Uh, forward multiple you look at, yeah. um, you know, is trading somewhere around 18 times, something like a Merck that has, you know, uh, similar market growth. But again, back to that visibility comment, 
you know, I would argue that that should be trading, you know, near a market multiple. So you could see fairly significant multiple expansion uh, just as they continue to execute on their uh, on their platforms. Okay, great. Um, next up, um, and again, these are healthcare focused names. Um, United Healthcare. So again, we kind of talk a little bit of a, about a value position that uh, a re-rating on on a Merck versus United Health. And for those that aren't familiar, um, United Health is what's called a managed care uh, company. And so, managed care are basically the companies that. Um, they, they orchestrate everything from uh, pharmacy benefits, uh, drug, uh, drug formularies. Uh, they also own their own networks of physicians uh, and, of course, have all the healthcare insurance. Um, and they also administer things like Medicare and um, uh, other types of government programs. And so uh, they really are what I would consider our, our GARP or growth at a reasonable price. They are vertically integrated across every type of um, uh, area within that healthcare distribution. Uh, and they really are the, the leader in that space. And so again, the, an area that has relatively high margins uh, and has consistently been executing really over the past uh, at least seven years that, uh, that I've covered the, uh, covered the stock, just consistently uh, reporting solid results uh, and it's an area again that uh, that we think is uh, is well positioned in the current environment. And um, we should mention as well at Merck, at United Healthcare, they all have a dividend as well. Oh, absolutely. That's uh, that's key for us. We like uh, we like to have dividends. Okay. Um, let's take a look at J and J. Actually, United Health. I'm just looking at it now. UNH is the ticker there. Um, not much of a dividend. That 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 goes with a lot of the, you know, the U.S. stocks actually seem to often pay a lower dividend. They just do. So <laughs> it's 1.1%, but nonetheless, you're writing covered calls on it to generate income. Um, let's take a look at J&J as well. Why J&J? Again, this is really just a, a straight up anchor position within, within healthcare, um, not paying too much for, for what you're getting in really a leading class, a leading world-class company. They have just the proven ability to execute on a global scale um, you know, right across their medical devices through their, uh, um, through their um, uh, drug and, and pharmacy uh, platforms, uh, pharmaceutical platforms. Uh, and of course, they do have uh, a consumer product division. Uh, we do look that's potentially going to get spun out at some point here. Um, but again, this is about having one of the dominant leading healthcare companies, um, proven ability across, you know, really decades of execution uh, from, a, from an operational standpoint, uh, including in times of economic uh, slowdowns or contractions. Paul, with respect to J&J sp splitting off their consumer business side, you know, it, that's almost one of the aspects of J&J that I've always liked is the fact that you know, it's a bit of a barbell approach. I mean, certainly if, if there's a weak economic outlook, you know, that that can weigh on J&J &J from a consumer demand perspective. But at the same time, it's kind of given it some nice steady balance over all these years taken as a whole. Absolutely a valid point. We've seen it pretty much across the industry where we've started to see companies, Pfizer has done it, uh, Novartis has done it. Uh, Glaxo has uh, has done it, and so we've seen spinning out of the uh, the consumer businesses really because uh, the, they tend to be lower growth uh, and tend to hold back the multiple a little bit. 
so you do when you when you spin that out. And I I don't have the exact number on it if it's 15, 15% of their overall um, mm. business. Um, uh, but again, you should be rewarded with a uh, with a better multiple because you end up having a little bit more growth focus. Uh, being concentrated in, uh, and of course, Johnson & Johnson with their medical devices and uh, pharmaceutical businesses, um, you're still getting some of that diversity across, you know, really, really franchises that have, uh, uh, I would call them long duration franchises. So very consistent in their, uh, in their cash flow generating ability. And, and within the medical device, what, what area do they specialize in these days? So they, from uh, from head to toe, I guess would be uh, would be the answer. Um, so they they've got a number of uh, of product lines uh, from orthopedics and uh, uh, to to stents, etc. So really well diversified um, uh, on both both medical devices and on the uh, the drug platform as well. So medical devices, uh, medical more pure play medical device companies tend to do well in the. Um, in a growing economy, um, obviously, you know, there's some concern about that right now. And then also, of course, with the pandemic, I think people were hoping that they'd start to really see an uptick in, in surgeries, um, you know, particularly on the med device side, whether it's hips or knees or what have you, what, what, what are, what's your reading? What do you, what are you seeing going on so, right now? Great question, because we are seeing elective surgeries actually resume. Um, and so when we look at some of the companies that, uh, some of our other companies that would be a little bit more pure play, like a striker, um, we, again, we prefer companies that have, you know, more, more diversity than less. One could go as far as an intuitive surgical, um, but again, you're paying a very big multiple at a time when, you know, the market isn't looking for big multiple stocks. Um, mm. So through our read-throughs, through, uh, through a striker, which would again have, um, a, a, a little bit more sensitivity to the consumer just because of the they've got some electives, um, elective surgeries in in their um, orthopedics in particular, uh, but they also have a very large uh, robotic assisted surgery business that tends to be high capital costs. Um, so we do see we do see some uh, some uh, I wouldn't say issues as of yet because the elective surgeries are are still resuming uh, okay. and still trending well. But it's absolutely you're absolutely right that they do have a little bit more sensitivity uh, to the consumer than say uh, large cap pharmaceutical or large cap biotech. Okay, um, Zoetis is your next pick. So I, I put this out uh, again. We talked a lot about consistency and and having um, you know really businesses that you know uh, aren't necessarily overly exposed to the economic cycle. So Zoetis is the largest health, uh, pet health company in the, uh, in the world. Uh, they also, of course, have a franchise that's associated with uh, about 40% of the business, things like cattle, swine, uh, and sort of your, um, your farm animal business, if you will. And so uh, it is a little bit more expensive on a, on, on a multiple basis. So it's been really impacted, though, by this uh, contraction in multiples in the market. And so mm -hmm. because it tends to be a little bit more growth focused, um, the largest component of that growth is on the pet health business. So there's some concerns that perhaps if we go into an economic contraction, this would be an area that uh, uh, that we would see spending slow. 
We have not seen that. They just reported about a week and a half ago, uh, and the, we have not seen that slowing. Uh, but that would be something that we'd be watching out for. But if I can take a look through the valley of an economic contraction, you know, and I see a stock that's basically had its multiple, you know, drop 15x. Um, wow. you know, so it's really come off in valuations. The numbers are, uh, their, their earnings are still very strong and still growing. It's just, you can now buy those earnings for, for a lower cost with the knowledge that you have some exposure to the consumer if we continue to slow down. So I want to have a little bit of that barbell approach, as you pointed out, that Johnson & Johnson does. Uh, I want to have that within our portfolio. We still want to have some of that uh, uh, higher growth um, component as well. Interesting. I'm just looking at it. So at us, the ticker there is ZTS. And it's down 31% year to date. Mm -hmm. It still has a high multiple of 37 times. Wow. And it's come down. So, and so we, we look at it on a, uh, on a forward multiple. And actually, the, the numbers that we have actually have it, uh, have it quite a bit lower than that. Uh, oh, okay. As we, as we look at, we see it uh, trending sub thirty here. But you're right; uh, it's come from north of uh, north of forty. So there was a lot of growth baked in, uh, but now there's concerns that the consumer is, is slowing, and therefore that uh, that multiple has has compressed. But if I can look out and say, you know, a company that really has a monopoly or a near, yeah. near monopoly um, in an area that we're only increasing our pet ownership. Um, and they, again, a company that's executing exceptionally well, they're doing a lot of R&D uh, and that R&D is paying off as well. They've got uh, some, some great new products um, that, uh, that are really uh, executing quite well on. So again, you have a little bit of exposure, yeah. more exposure to the consumer, but, uh, but a great business to be in over the medium term. Yeah, no, I think it's really interesting. But what, what percentage is pets versus really exposure to the ag business? So it's it's a I, I don't want to say 50 50 because it's a little bit more biased towards it's closer to a 60 40 uh, on, in, to... in favor of the pet health business. Okay. Um, and really, that's the area that we see see growing much more than uh, than your your traditional ag side. Yeah. Um, and again, part of the as we think about uh, in a recessionary environment, um, perhaps we we eat less meat. Um, if it's if meat costs are going up, et cetera. So you, you do have some exposure on, uh, on that side, but, uh, but by and large, the, the dominant component of growth is really coming from that, that pet health business. Very interesting. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of those stocks that got away from me and I can't believe it was trading at even a higher multiple, but now it might be worth a look. Um, Paul, I always like to do this top five F5 in 20 minutes, kind of running out of time, but I, I want to get to your last top pick. We've talked a lot about your equity income side, which is focused on healthcare and covered call writing to generate income. You have one other ETF though, that we want to briefly mention here as well. And this is one of your other ideas. So, and this is, it's a little bit uh, of a contrarian idea here, and uh, um, it's our travel and leisure ETF. And so I don't want to oversimplify what this is, but it is 30, 30 of the largest uh, North American listed travel related companies. And so, you know, if we think about, you know, that what, what happened during the recession, everybody's been locked in, you know, I, I haven't spoken to a person um, in the past three months that hasn't said, oh yeah, we're going here or we're going there. And so even you now traditionally in a, in a slowdown, you would end up um, seeing areas like travel um, being impacted. 
and you would see the data starting to show that perhaps people are traveling less, um, flying less, et cetera. Um, that's not what we're seeing right now. And I think that that's really driven by the fact that because we were locked up for so long, people are, people are back out traveling. We're also seeing the business traveler coming back. We're seeing conferences start back up. And so um, when I think about uh, the risk of potentially a recession, you know, normally you would think, okay, I'm going to buy my, um, my consumer staples companies, which I think a lot of people have because they're trading at very, uh, uh, very expensive valuations. But perhaps in this environment, we see more, more trading down, meaning we move from our Clorox into our no-name brand. But there's no way I'm not going to Florida. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I, I think that that's an area that, um, you know, provided it's not a severe, uh, severe slowdown or prolonged, um, we still see very large pent up demand. So I think uh, having exposure to a basket like that uh, seems mm -hmm. to make a lot of sense. Okay. And just real brief here, your, your um, healthcare ETF, um, there are others in Canada or, I mean, obviously, I guess, but what yours is one of the largest you said? The, I think? The, that's right. So, so we've got the largest healthcare ETF in Canada. It's at, at about a billion in assets. Uh, and absolutely, there's there's uh, other uh, other ways to get exposure to healthcare. And as we were talking earlier, you know, on the covered call strategy, we've typically said in the past, you know, if you're looking for healthcare and income, that's where HHL does come in. I, I, I'm pivoting a little bit now and suggesting that if you want healthcare and are focused in on total return, then I think covered calls make a lot of sense, just because. Broader market returns are expected to be more muted. And I think that that covered call component can make up a, a greater proportion of one's total return. So um, again, uh, we've got 20, 20 large cap stocks and we have that covered call strategy on up to a third of the underlying positions. Okay, and the ticker for that ETF is HHL? That's correct, yes. On the TSX? On the TSX. Okay, got it. <laughs> All right. You know, because they're U.S. stocks, you never know if you listed in the States, I don't know, but it's great when you can kind of get the, when you can buy it in your Canadian dollars and you guys are obviously taking care of the currency risk. That's right. We do have, a, there's three versions of it. There is a, there is oh. a class B, which is unhedged if an investor doesn't want, wants to take that. Uh, but we also have, again, as you pointed out, it's considered a Canadian trust. Uh, but we have a dot U, which is priced in U.S. dollars and pays in U.S. dollars. So if somebody actually wanted to have that U.S. dollar exposure, um, they can get that cash flow in, in U.S. dollars. But again, being listed on the TSX, it's considered a Canadian trust. Got it. Okay. Paul, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for your time and your thoughtful ideas today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me back. Thank you. Speak to you soon. Talk soon.